and welcome back. This is the Northern Miner Podcast on location from downtown Vancouver. Um, I'm your host, Matthew Keeble, alongside... And today we're joined by one of our reoccurring guests, friends of the program, uh, Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist. Thanks for joining us, Mickey. Uh, recurring. That sounds like it's a recurring headache or something like that. No, it's 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 not negative. It's good. It's good. We always we like. Uh, <laughs> it's our it's our it's our uh, insight from south of the border, as I call it, from uh, from New Mexico specifically. True. Um, well, I've been here almost a month. That's now. right. Yeah, it's, you've been here for four. It's weeks. time to get out of this snowy place yeah. and go back where. We have snow, but at least the sun shines in between the snows. And <laughs> you don't get a weather forecast in some shade of gray. It is ugly out there today, I must say. I must say. <laughs> so before we dig into some of our content, we'll just run through some macro and metal prices. Uh, big, uh, big news was copper supply disruptions. We keep hearing about those. Yep. Uh, the strike at Escondida is coming. Uh, there's the going to be stormy weather. Stormy, shut down yep. four or five copper shipping mm-hmm. ports in northern chilly during beach season beach season and yeah. i don't know how that happens yeah but uh, wow and so we've seen copper rise it was uh, i think it hit a peak of almost 270 uh today it closed at about two dollars and 66 cents per pound gold was trading at one thousand two hundred twenty nine dollars and forty cents per ounce at the time of recording uh silver was at seventeen dollars and sixty four cents it closed today um and west texas intermediate oil was at fifty three dollars and roughly fourteen cents per barrel uh so relatively a flat day actually not a lot of movement in uh, most most commodities uh we have seen the copper bounce on that supply concerns and people who seem to be um fast forwarding their investment thesis on copper a little bit you've been like the worst people about copper they're like well i think like goldman sachs might always be yeah worst, or goldman sachs it's well, one, of, one of the one of depends the, on where the typical where they're culprits. long or short yeah they, need, yeah they think they need to move the commodities yeah. market yeah so uh mickey let's get started with that then i mean uh, you've been in vancouver the last four weeks you've been through obviously the vancouver resource investment conference got kind of a feel for what's going on in the canadian markets uh what are some uh observations you have for us to start well, i off? think uh Copper's got a ways to go. It was up 17% last year. It lagged behind all the base metals, industrial metals, let's say. It was, it was the lagger. And generally, when we come out of these bear markets for commodities, copper leads the way. It is, after all, Dr. Car- copper. So from that point of view, I think copper uh, and uranium probably have the most upside this year, and we've seen that already in uranium, and copper's got a a really nice bump going on so far. Um, But we're still dealing with metal prices that are not that much off their historic lows. I mean, copper was $4.44, what, about four years ago. Yeah. It's a $264 or $266 a day. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of room for growth there, and I dare say in the copper market that most copper production in the world is just about break even at this price. I'd say so. So, so this supply disruption that you have during times of bear markets takes a while to recover from. Uh, the near-term supply disruptions become just way uh, opportunities for the market to take the next step up and establish a new base so we've seen this very rapid rise from when trump was elected copper was 225 yeah. you cannot discount the trump effect on that but we have supply demand fundamental problems in the near t- near to midterm copper market mm-hmm. because all these projects peru ramped up 50 percent over the last couple of years but all these other 
copper expansion projects have gone on the shelf. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that is not only supply disruption, that is supply destruction, destruction. And there's a big difference. So very bullish on copper going ahead. Well, it's interesting. You make a couple really good points there, one of which is, uh, I mean, if you look at the sort of pro- at, at mine production costs for most of the copper operations worldwide, not many are breaking even. I'd say not many are breaking even at these prices. Even, I mean, there are there are a few, but by and large, a lot of them aren't. You know, are doing that a lot well. Of the lowest you, right? quartile would be doing good. Yeah, exactly. But, but let's look where we are a year and two weeks ago at a dollar ninety six. No one was break even then, and w- and I knew when it went below two dollars, I piped up right away and said, "This is bottom. This cannot." stay this way and I don't know how long it stayed but a day or two yeah. and it at least popped up to 204, 205 two, it went above 2 bucks again mm. um, but you know this is basic supply demand fundamentals in a capitalistic economy and if people don't make money uh, production <laughs> goes by the wayside and yeah. the pendulum always swings too far one way or the other and, and, and exactly, it's segueing the second point you made that was a really good one is we have gone through a period recently of, of widespread copper expansion. And you've seen a lot of large-scale projects go online in the last five to ten years. Things like Constancia, projects like that coming online. Antimina. Antimina. Um, and that's sort of ending now. Like you said, there's not a lot in terms of near-term horizon on what's going to be coming in the next wave of copper mines. Um, and the other interesting point that we always talk about is that a lot of the analyst notes I see the threshold to bring new copper operations online is is over three dollars a pound. In, in order to sort of incentivize people to start building what's there now, yeah, the poundage we know is in the ground, point, right? Very well. So I mean, if match. they want to incentivize this new batch of copper operations, which are let's face it, lower grade, probably harder to mine, they're going to need a higher copper price just to incentivize people to build them, right? Yep. So uh, all those t- together is why you see a lot of people talking about over let's say a time horizon of five to ten years, copper is a very sexy yeah. metal, if you. And it's always a sexy metal. Very yeah. seldom is copper not a, a, a relatively sexy metal because, as I've alluded to before, it is Dr. Copper, and it is a forward-leading uh, indi- economic indicator in the short term of the health of the world's economy. Plus, once again, I came back to the same old thing. We got 85 million more people on the planet every year, and 25% of the world still gets up when it gets light and they go to bed when it gets dark and they sleep 12 hours a day but they can't turn a light switch and you cannot transmit copper transmit electricity electricity, yeah, electricity yeah. without copper yeah. Yeah. you know yeah and it's not used in those big power lines you see yeah. going across the hinterland that's aluminum but every then, Every yeah. transformer in the world yeah. has a load of copper in it. And uh, not to mention all those electric cars and cell phones. Right. And and a variety of yeah. other yeah. green technologies yeah. that everyone time, loves. Every time you use Google, yeah. there's uh, signals being transmitted across copper. Well, and the, the other thing before we get Contact. off copper that I find a little interesting is, is you haven't seen a lot of high-profile exploration plays over the last five to ten years. You haven't seen a lot of big discovery holes, and you haven't seen a lot of people spending a significant amount of capital on exploration because it is expensive, let's face that. Um, but I mean, so now that you're looking at it, I mean, is do you see, is there an opportunity for copper juniors? I mean, it is expensive. Oh, absolutely. And it, but, but I mean, like, for, for people to raise that much money to start um, drilling absolutely. for them again? Absolutely. You know, I, if there's one thing I am continually searching for, and there's very seldom when I'm not, is, is good startup copper projects, yeah. new copper projects, or copper projects. Number one, you need 
We got a lot of copper in the world, copper projects in the world, very few are high grade enough. And so the idea, for me, it's a smaller paradigm. I'm not going in looking for the big mega copper projects that are going to make 10 billion yeah. tons of porphyry copper and produce world-class copper deposits. There's a niche below that that I operate in. and To look, and, okay. And, and, okay. And, and perhaps more in tune with with a junior's capability. A junior going in a in a in a new porphyry copper project, your time frame to get where your only exit strategy becomes selling yeah. to a major copper producer. Yeah. That time frame of exploration, advanced exploration to say a pre-feasibility study completed is a minimum of 10 years. And that's much longer than a life of an average junior. So juniors that go into porphyry copper, uh, new, new projects don't ha- generally have longevity to make to be successful in that. And in I think that. a lot of like the business model you're seeing now is that you need a strong partner, be it like Cordoba Minerals, for example, has Friedland and HPX funding a lot of that drilling. Um, uh, the Aston Bay had BHP briefly had them, uh, have now lost them. Um, and you saw uh, Northern Shield Resources had South 32. Um, so you're seeing with these large base metal exploration programs that maybe you should look for a junior that has somebody sort of standing behind them with deeper well, pockets. Because, have have or else your dilution will yeah, just... You know, yeah. uh, the average junior to put a you know, there is one exit strategy if you take on a big porphyry copper exploration project, and that's sell to a major. Yeah. Very few management teams, geologic teams, have the savvy to do that. An example of somebody who did that would be Antares. Yeah. And, right. yeah. You know, yeah. And they're at it again with Regulus. With those Regulus, guys, yeah. But, but those, uh, the guy that runs... Those two companies, John Black had uh, lots of experience with majors. He's got lots of contacts with majors, but ultimately, your only exit strategy is sell to major. And I like junior companies that have multiple exit strategies or can have them. Exactly, yeah, and that's something you always hammer on the show is that you need multiple multiple exit so. strategies. And and so to finish up on copper, Mickey, I mean, uh, is there any sort of areas or jurisdictions that have you're looking at now, or is it still sort of early? To, oh, it's like, very early. Yeah. I have a hard time finding projects that merit my attention, but I think maybe I've certainly mentioned this before. I'm trying to do a copper oxide deal in Zambia yes, right now. Yeah, and yeah. whether we get that pulled off, you never know. Well, sir, sir, well yeah. let's look yeah. at it this way. Yeah. The copper belt of Zambia and the DRC the first quantum, is, is yeah. the most endowed copper province in the world. They are the highest grade. They've got cobalt to go along with them. So the world's best copper deposits from a geological point of view are in the copper belt of southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, the geopolitics, especially the DRC, it's a tough road to hoe ask Friedland and Freeport yeah. And, yeah. and First Quantum about all this sort of stuff and all the predecessor companies that come before. Yeah. Uh, you know, Zambia across the border hosts the majority of copper belt uh, copper deposits. And to me, it's a little bit more... Geo, geopolitically palatable, stabler than the, a little than, bit than the yeah. DRC. Yeah, no, you know, for sure. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, but it is Southern Africa, and there's yeah. a geopolitical yeah. risk there that does not occur in the Americas. 
That said, they do have the world's best copper deposits. About Trilogy Metals. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, and the Ambler District, and yeah, that's pretty attractable. Alaska's always been geopolitically palatable uh, to me, with the exception of Northern Dynasty, who are opposed by a native corporation. And, you know, you look at Ex Nova Copper, now Trilogy Metals, the Nana Corporation's right on board for that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, with the Trump administration, certainly the... Uh, the Northern Dynasty Pebble Project has rid itself of some unreasonable and basically illegal opposition, opposition done by the EPA, which even the Washington Post yeah. writes an yeah. editorial about how this is going to change now because the EPA operated out of its realm and basically did something that, that violates U.S. laws and regulations. That said, I will go on record to say this, that Northern Dynasty at present metal prices and even at elevated copper prices uh, with its CapEx is, is in not my economic. opinion is, is, is demonstrably uneconomic yeah. from even their own feasibility studies yeah. and in my very strong opinion, and I've said this before, um, they should focus on East Pebble. Yeah, no, and not that's a good on point. the big open pit. Let's yeah. go and take a look at the economics of working east of the fault yeah. in a relatively deep but extremely high grade copper gold deposit at East Pebble. Look at the bulk tonnage underground, maybe, or something Absolutely, like that. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. with Mickey. Um, but uh, I, we have talked a lot about macro, but I wanted to let Leslie get to the geology corner this week. Um, because you guys are going to talk about some really cool stuff, mainly um, uh, Finland and some, some geology around uh, Scandinavia, which uh, Canadian investors might not be too in, too familiar with. Uh, there's not a lot of Canadian juniors active up there. So I will kick it over to Leslie, and she can jump into the geology corner. Geology corner, special yeah. edition. Yeah. Mickey Falk. Mickey Falk. himself. Yeah. No, there's a lot of talk in the town right now about Orion Resources, especially in Vancouver. I hear a lot of people talking about their latest results. I think it's called Orion. Orion, did I do it wrong? At least that's the way we good Americans <laughs> You even wrote it down there. I read, Orion. A-U-R-I-O-N, Orion. Or Onion if you're a dyslexic. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I thought that maybe this geology corner, I'd kind of kick off with a bit of a brief overview of, you know, who the main players are and what the geology is and what's going on. And then I'm just going to pass it over to Mickey to let me know about some of the companies he has his eyes on because he's been following the Finland story for, for a while now. So. For quite a while, yeah. Yeah, totally. All right, so um, just to kick it off, you know, we are in the Fennoscanian Shield. It's a big chunk of Archean and Proterozoic rocks that covers most of, well, pretty much all of Finland, Switzerland, and northwestern part of Russia. And it's actually the most important metal district in Europe, which is pretty cool. So the shield um, was historically known for its VMS and magmatic nickel, copper, and PGE deposits and a whole bunch of others. Um, but interestingly enough, it was a super late bloomer in the gold space. Before the 1980s, it had really few gold occurrences, right? With the most significant probably being the Boliden? Boliden. Boliden. Boliden <laughs> deposit, which is actually a super gold-rich VMS deposit. 
which graded 8.3 million tons at 15.9 grams gold. So super oh, high grade. Obviously one of the highest grade BMS deposits in the world. Totally. Yeah. And interestingly enough, when I was doing some research on Boliden ages ago, um, they, some ideas is that the gold was introduced um, during like later uh, fracturing and faulting by later fluids. But anyway, all that aside, may I digress? Um, since the 1980s, the number of gold occurrences has clearly grown, at least in Finland. Um, they have now five producing gold mines, the largest producer being Agnico Eagle's mm -hmm. Kitala mine in the central Lapland Greenstone Belt in the north. It has 4.4 million ounces of gold, um, and even more so in like inferred and um, indicated reserves. That, that's just reserves alone. And so the mine produced in 2015 a total of 120,000 ounces. Now, aside from Agnico Eagle, who's doing a lot of exploring in Finland, we see a lot of junior explorers working in the region. In Finland specifically, um, we have Moss and Resources, we have Orion <laughs> Resources, <laughs> and their partner B2 Gold, um, and they have a big land package as well. And you have Dragon Mining and Nordic Mines, but those two don't trade on the TSX. Um, and of course in Sweden, which we won't get into today, we have Eurasian Minerals and Tasman Metals and all that sort of yep. stuff. So, capsule geology, here we go. This is really interesting, and maybe a lot of people don't really know this, but um, the most prospective belts in Finland are the eastern, or in the east, and up in um, the north with the Lapland Greenstone Belt. And the cool thing is, is that it's basically the same type of geology as the Archean Canadian Shield in Canada. Okay, so that's the shield, that's the rocks in Canada that host the prolific greenstone belts in Ontario and Quebec. Now, interestingly, the age of mineralization between Canada and what we see in Finland are different, um, with the main pulses of gold in Canada occurring around 2.7, 2.9 billion years ago, whereas in the Finno-Scandian Shield, it was introduced 1.8 billion years ago in the Proterozoic. So, and it happened when, during an orogenic event, so mountain building, when outboard volcanic terrains collided onto the Archean margin of ancestral Finland. Now, that sounds kind of like BC. Um, if anybody is nerdy enough to follow me in my geological journey through Canada. But um, all that aside, I'm just going to pass it over to Mickey to kind of let us know what the state is of exploration in Finland right now, what are some challenges, who should we be keeping some eyes on, and what the potential there is. So Mickey, what do you reckon? So this is a greenstone terrain of whatever age now, in this case it's very earliest Proterozoic, which if you go and look, many of the world's largest gold districts are of this age. Totally. Okay. Yep. It was a really fun time in Earth's history. There was so much gold kicking around. It was yeah, right. So it's like gold volcano. So it's it's historically <laughs> underexplored because it's under shallow glacial till, but I'm emphasizing shallow glacial till. Like on average maybe a meter or two. So it's just this thin veneer of glacial till. So over the last six or seven years, uh, starting with Mawson Resources, Arriva goes in they, and it's been flown for radiometrics and, uh, and there's lots of radio, radiometric anomalies in Northern Finland. So 
Arivas takes this big ground and they send their prospector geologists walking around with scintillometers. And these, for uranium, I yeah, guess. yeah, looking for uranium in this shallow uh, glacial till. It's kind of like typical Canadian boreal forest with with fens and mires and swamps and muskeg and you know halfway oh. underwater and the stunted mosquitoes. trees and and so they they walk around and. They see all these uh, high-grade scintillometer anomalies. They carry scintillometers, strap them on their shoulder, and sling them off about mid-calf level and go tromping around, and you get a buzz, and you get a buzz, and you start digging, right? And lo and behold, they dig up these samples, and there's bonanza-grade gold in, embedded in essentially massive uraninite. So that was that the happens? discovery. So so with Mawson, this big land package with multiple occurrences and multiple gold discoveries that have now been drilled or are being drilled right now, uh, this uranium play uh, became a gold play and they and Riva doesn't want to be in gold, so they sold it to Mawson and that happened in late 2010. Right. Uh, so Mawson has progressed there. Uh, and most in this terrain, big land packages. So quite a ways further north, uh, Mawson's ground is near Rovaniemi, which is right on the Arctic Circle, uh, near Santa Claus land. We've all heard about <laughs> Santa Claus land. You know, I go fly into Rovaniemi and I go to Santa Claus land, you know. <laughs> Got to go to Santa Claus land and yeah. pick up a few gifts for the girlfriend and the family, and et cetera. But it's that part of the world. Uh, but it's very moderated climate compared to what we would think of the Arctic Circle uh, in North America because you've got this big Gulf Stream and, and up into the uh, Baltic Sea and the Gulf of Finland, et cetera. So they actually have farms and highways and oh, wow. they raise cattle up there above the Ar or at the Arctic Circle. So it's not as harsh. I mean, it's harsh in the winter. It's cold in the winter, but it's not... It's not up in the tundra like the Arctic Circle is in most of North America. Interesting. So, uh, most recently, uh, another company, Orion Resources, and I should mention right now, I'm a shareholder of both these companies, Mawson and Orion, and uh, Mawson pays to, as a sponsor uh, to cover my website, as a sponsor of my website recently. Uh, so I cover that company. But most recently, Orion, uh, say about 2014, acquired some past drilled projects, little things where they had had some high grade over a few, me a few meters, interesting, but little bits of ground. Uh, rec or not recently, but sometime within the last year or so, they brought in B2 Gold as a partner on a significant portion of this ground. Then they stake, and they stake massive amounts of ground uh, quite a ways north up in Lapland, maybe 150 kilometers uh, north of Mawson's occurrence. And lo and behold, this week they announced oh, gosh. Uh, these high-grade grab, grab samples of quartz tourmaline fuchsite, which is the chromium bearing green mica 
in a, uh, high grade grab samples for the most part and gold, visible gold all over the place. Yeah, I think specifically and, it was like 1.1 kilometer by 750 meters and they've got like, they collected 113 samples. I'm doing this all by memory, by the way. No, you're and right. I remember 40, 113. 40 samples graded more than 30 grams per ton. And right. this is grab samples at surface. And their stock really responded. To oh, yeah. This, so the stock went from 40 cents uh, before the announcement. And it, they did a private placement yesterday, uh, $6 million at a buck fifty. So uh, ultimately, I think if memory serves, it hit a buck ninety-three the other day. So that's almost a five-bagger in less than a week on huge volumes. And this is on grab samples. These yeah. aren't these aren't drill yeah. results for the most part. Yeah. They're not outcrop samples. They're they're angular boulders in the shallow till, which implies they've not undergone lots of transport. They may be essentially in place. But now we have our second major grassroots gold discovery in northern Finland in unex relatively unexplored terrains. And Same this is extremely encouraging to me, Leslie, yeah. because the problem with our previous boom from 2003 to 2011, no one did grassroots gold exploration. Here's two companies now that look like they perhaps have made or potentially major discoveries in unexplored terrains because, we, you know, recycling old mines and old projects, which is what we did from 2003 to 2013, didn't work. It did not find, with this exception, Fruta del Norte did not find new world-class gold discoveries. So this, maybe the tide's turning and this boom, this incipient bull market we see coming in the fact that people that companies will value, and speculators will value this grassroots exploration play and in new terrains and underexplored terrains and covered terrains with all the best geologists and geophysicists using everything they can. You know, the, with Mawson right now, it's all about basal till sampling undercover to try to figure out where these gold occurrences, because you have no outcrop, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, I'm extremely encouraged by this whole uh, set of affairs that's, that maybe investors will start valuing grassroots exploration plays again because that's the future of our business. So I should also put a, a disclaimer, not a disclaimer, but a caveat on this. And the environmental difficulties of operating in Finland for Mawson basically uh, put them on more or less a four-year hold in their ability okay. to advance their project. That's been cleaned up now, but it is not the easiest place to work in the world from an environmental point of really? view. Really? Because it, it, it made the... And it always scores best it in does. the Fraser it's in the fr Institute. It's always, it yeah, it's number it was, three in the Fraser yeah. Institute. And so, so Mawson's done a lot of work, and, uh, and it's changing. You know, there's been, there was an election sometime within the last year and administrations changed so much more favorable to development but okay. it's not been with that without growing pains that 
that Mawson has kind of paved the way for other companies in Finland at this stage. Yeah. Attempting to get going yeah, like there. Nico, what, what are the main environmental concerns that they have? Do they kind of enforce dry stack tailings or anything specific that... Uh, I wish you. I'm... I'm <laughs> uh, Crazy caribou herds. Uh, there's reindeer. Uh, for a of period of time when they elected a socialist government, the um, the environmental department uh, was controlled by some radical NGOs. Uh, so that has changed. I mean, at one time you had the environment department at odds with the mining and engineering uh, departments in the Finnish central government. So things have certainly improved from that point of view. Sounds but, like the uh, U.S. Well, you know, the analogy could be made. It's the difference between an Obama administration and political appointees and what we will have going forward for at least the next three years and 11 and a half months, which is a very uh, environmentally friendly, regulation friendly uh, federal government that will make America great again. <laughs> which that is, is trademark. Which, we it, okay which <laughs> is very good for our business. Look at copper, look at zinc, all these metals. Infrastructure build out in the U.S. Uh, is going to be absolutely wonderful for our business. Great. So well, I'm sorry I hijacked the geology corner. Was there more the geology? Was there, this is the sharing circle. Was there more so, geology though? No, that's pretty much covers yeah, everything. Yeah. And if anybody, if any of our listeners are um, wondering anything else, they can always get in touch with me. Um, is there going to be a Finland piece in the paper now as well? I don't know because you know how I'm doing like marching across Canada and doing all the different geological districts. Yeah. I kind of really want to like just step out and do do a Finland district. So anyway. Well, you're, you're going to try to talk to Orion. TBA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try well, to get. They this. don't know this yet, but. Ryan, I'll be calling you. Yeah, yeah, we're well, gonna, he's a newbie like you are. Yeah, sure. So you ought to you ought to calm down Torbay Road. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm sure we'll get that in the paper soon. We'll, we'll get because we, <laughs> yeah. we want to cover that, so we will get them on totally. the line. Um, but uh, yeah, so and we, so I would say watch out for Mawson. Uh, Mawson's going to have first drill results before PDAC. Great. Uh, diamond drill results. They put out press release and some of their basal till sampling today. It's very encouraging. So it's it's tough terrain because it's you're walking in the mire. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Like when I was last in Finland, we're yeah. we're walking on planks. These uh, one by six planks. You're walking, so you're walking and trying to not slip off. And it was like icy. So you're walking in your knee-high muck boots and uh, on icy wooden planks in the mire, you know, the planks, but there's a, <laughs> every once in a while, somebody would slip and fall, or one time, I one, one foot slipped off and I'm a foot deep in the mire and sinking slowly down in the, <laughs> in the bog, At least there was and, the and I had to throw the other foot off on the other side of the six inch plank and it goes a foot down and I'm about four inches off the top of my muck boots and I got the CEO of Mawson Resources is trying to pull me up braced really? as he's standing on this icy six inch board and 
luckily we both made it out without getting our feet wet. So that's go. pretty good. But I keep bugging him to do an odds and sods, but he hasn't done one yet. But we're going to get one of your odds and yeah, sods in for got, sure. He's got like a hundred of them oh, every time I talk to yeah. him. Um, but uh, this has been the Northern Miner Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank Mickey Fault, the mercenary geologist, My for joining pleasure. us. So Mickey, if you would just want to give a quick pitch on where people can find you. Yeah, mercenarygeologist.com. Uh, 6,400 subscribers, it's free, so if you sign up, you get my stock picks immediately. Uh, at Mercenary Geo, we are now well over 60,000 Twitter followers, very active on Twitter. And this interview, as all my interviews, go in the rotation at mercenarygeologist.fm, 24-7 streaming audio. You can listen to me 24-7. <laughs> It's perfect. If, if anybody would ever choose to do that. But we reach somewhere about 35 countries on a monthly basis. Wow. Uh, lots of listeners. They probably put it on and just let it run and listen for a while. So, so yeah. if you want to listen to the dulcet tones of Mickey Fulp 24 hours a day, you can indeed do that. But this is Matthew Kibo. We are on location in downtown Vancouver. This is the Northern Miner Podcast with... That's the steps. And we would like to thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.